Hello and thank you for downloading the 9% event podcast. In this new 9% interview series, I talk to inspiring women one-on-one about the secrets of their success, the highs and the lows, what they've learned along the way and the tips they give to other women in business. We start this series with none other than the founder of Specsavers, Dame Mary Perkins, who gave up her time to sit down with me at the head office in Guernsey. Mary is not only the founder of Specsavers, which has 36 million customers worldwide and employs more than 32,000 staff, but is also a committed philanthropist who was the first female optician in the UK to receive the title of Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire in recognition of her charity work. She has also held directorships of Women's Refuge and Age Concern, as well as being a patron of children's charity Kidscape. The Specsavers joint venture partnership model has been an unqualified success, with not a single store ever closing over the years. The company was founded on the value of treating people as we would like to be treated ourselves, and when I was given a tour of their headquarters, I noticed that Mary doesn't even have her own office, preferring to sit outside alongside her staff in the open plan office. What follows is a fascinating insight into entrepreneurship, passion, commitment and success from the first female self-made billionaire in the UK and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed the conversation. For more inspiring women, please do download the other 9% event podcasts and either follow the link in the description or search the 9% event on Facebook for updates on our next events, interviews and speakers. for taking the time out of your very busy day to come and meet the 9% event. Um, I wonder if we could start, if you could give a brief outline of Specsavers and the business and how your career began from your original Bebbington and Perkins optician to the Specsavers we know today. Yes, I was going to say how long have we got. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a long time because obviously I qualified as an optometrist in... um, the beginning of 1966. Mm-hmm. So it's a long career, isn't it, as, yeah. a, as an optometrist? <laughs> and you're quite right. Um, I started um, with a small independent practice in Bristol, which went under my maiden name, which was Bebbington. Mm-hmm. And of course, by then I was married, working with my husband, who I met at university. Um, and for all you ladies listening, I kept my maiden name for many, many years. Really? Hence the name <laughs> Bebbington and Perkins, that we uh, were working together then in um, in the centre of Bristol and also in the suburbs of Bristol. And then it got to, so we had 23 sort of um, optician stores in the sort of southwest area. Um, and it was like a little chain and, and we sort of um, didn't feel too happy with that. Uh, I was spending more and more time on administration rather than out there sort of um, working with, with customers. So we actually sold those 23 stores um, in 1980 and moved to Guernsey where my parents uh, lived and my brother was at school here. Um, He was a lot younger than me. And um, um, so I thought, well, that's the end of optics. Uh, And I went to work for the Citizens Advice Bureau in Guernsey. Mm. Anyway, Um, what happened is that um, Margaret Thatcher, we all know Margaret Thatcher, first (laughs) woman prime minister, um, and she started changing the laws uh, for professions. So that was lawyers, um, dentists, accountants, opticians as well, um, people like that, um, where they were allowed to advertise and also use generic names, uh, anything like that. Up, up until then, you had to use your own name, or if you had a company uh, name, there weren't many companies around, 
Uh, you could use a company name, but you couldn't use a word like Specsavers. Anyway, it seemed a golden opportunity to revamp what we'd done previously, um, but not own all those stores, but to have them on a joint venture partnership uh, with young um, opticians coming out of university where they could have a joint venture partnership. It's a little bit different to a franchise. Um, it's a lot more hands-on, um, and it's a 50-50 sort of um, arrangement where the um, local resident optician in the store runs the store, looks after his staff and his customers, or her customers. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, there are more women optometrists than males. But anyway, that's uh, another thing perhaps I'll um, touch on. Certainly, there's, um, when, when I was at university, there were four of us in our year, four females, and now it's the balance is about just over 60% females in a, in a, in a year or, or qualifying. Um, and that's, same, that's the same globally as well, by the way. That's so, Well, I'm, I'm, no, I'm digressing. Yeah, we'll but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you why that is, because if you go back to the 50s and 60s even, mm. um, girls didn't do science at school. Okay. Really just didn't do, did English, history... They said, right, you can be a nurse or you can be a secretary and, or you went to university and did an arts degree or whatever. Um, girls really didn't do science, but of course now girls do mm. and they get good marks. Yeah. And um, to do optometry, um, you have to have three science A-levels with quite high grades and one of those has to be physics wasn't a sort of a female subject when I was doing it um, but now it's, it's, it's well quite frankly it's dominated by women mm. uh, really so uh, that's, that's a, that's a good move it's a good move and yeah. digressing slightly but did you ever come up against any resistance when you wanted to study science at that time it, um, yes um, well I never even gave it any thought um, there weren't, I think there was me and another girl called Judith Dobbins, who emigrated to Canada, and I've lost touch with her, as one might imagine, over over 60-odd years, you would do. Um, But uh, two of us doing A-level physics, say, for instance. Uh, There were a few more doing A-level maths, but anyway, uh, A-level physics. And the physics master at the time, um, I was in a very minor grammar school, by the way, in Bristol, and um, he, he went to the headmaster of the school and said, I'm not teaching girls. Really? And um, anyway, the headmaster said, well, you are, or else you'll have to leave. And we had a change of teacher at the time. <laughs> um, but I knew nothing about that until oh, fairly recent years when um, somebody was filling me in with what happened then. I, I didn't have a clue. I just Crikey. didn't know that A-level physics. So it obviously, um, I wouldn't say there was barriers there. and Nobody stopped me from doing anything. Mm. I didn't even think of it. But behind the scenes, obviously, there was. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, going back to we, we was, um, deciding to start Specsavers because it, it seemed a good idea to have these joint venture partnerships um, and give all the um, offer all the support services to run a business, which is nowadays quite complicated, really. It's, it's not very, very straightforward anymore. Um, and um, hence the start of Specsavers, 1984, um, and it's grown to where it is now, basically, which is um, in 10 countries, um, nearly 2,000 outlets now. Yeah, no, just just coming up to the 2,000. And, of course, does audiology as well as optometry. And then through your career, can you think of any particular high points for you and... Any kind of really moments where you thought, wow, I've really, I've done well here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, that, that's quite a, 
difficult. I think that's a difficult question for anybody to answer. Well, then, not just just not just me. It's you don't stop and think. Um, wow, I'm, that's good. I've arrived, or what, anything like that. We we we're always progressing and moving forward. So um, it's nice to have good results, or to have a nice letter from somebody saying. Thank you. I, I visited your such and such a Specsaver store, whatever town it's in, and the people there were very nice, and they helped me do this, and and discovered I had this eye condition and helped me, and all, all this sort of thing. It's lovely to hear that from people. I like that bit, mm-hmm. but I think um, different awards that get won. You you might think, oh well, that's good. That's a notch up to to win an award. But I, I think, really, we're so busy looking forward all the time to the next goal and the next thing we're going to do that we don't actually stop it um, and sort of dwell on it. Mm. That being said, within internally, um, all of us, we do celebrate success yeah. as well. A lot of our, our colleagues in the support services, of which there are many that we do, including all the marketing and advertising and finance and IT, the product buying, all sorts of product design, everything you can think of, even manufacturing. If someone's been with us a certain length of time, we always celebrate long-term employment. Mm. All our stores are aiming for what's called platinum employer. Mm. Um, And um, we celebrate each milestone in that. Um, We celebrate... We've had, gone through our 1,000 apprentices. They're not all wow. still with us. Some, yeah. are, some, they're not all apprentices. They might have stayed in a job. But uh, uh, So we, we would celebrate that. Mm. And, and when people pass their exams, we celebrate that. So it's not me personally. As a, as a group of us, all of us, will celebrate yeah. success. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, cause I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and people who start their own businesses in all different parts of their business. And there's normally... I've found out at a point where people think, oh, I don't know if I should have done this, or I've made a mistake, or they find something that's a real learning, a key to learning and improving. Has there been anything over the years that you've found? Um, Yes, Um, it is a true saying, isn't it, that you never stop learning. Mm. And, And really, and you've got to be prepared to have a go at something. Not everything works out. But you, you should learn from that, mm-hmm. um, and then you, the next time you do something similar or, or whatever, then you think, oh, yeah, I remember, that's not the way to do it. Because there's loads of things you can't find in a book, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's down to what you do. Um, I can give one example of that. Um, right nearly at the very, fairly near at the beginning of Specsavers, we thought we'd go to um, South Africa and um, open up there and I, I went over there and, and in fact we did open two um, outlets there with, with joint venture partners again and to be honest we hadn't done a lot of groundwork and I I don't think it was the right time to go into South Africa mm. um, the, the optometrists there are very good in the universities they're trained to the same level as UK universities okay. optometry that's not the same in every country around the world but certainly in South Africa it was and I think we probably went in a little bit too early in in our life cycle so to speak so there were a lot of um, um, stuff that we weren't prepared for um, on on the financial side I won't bother to go into detail so um, maybe we learned from that so that how we went into that country and we were going to sort of grow incrementally 
sort of one store, then another store, mm. another store. Um, so that when the time, we're not there now, by the way, even though there is another company who has the same name. Um, that's an, it's not the same. It's yeah. not the same, no. Um, and it's been impossible to claim that name back. So anybody's listening to this now, be very wary when you if, you, if you register a name, you have to be able to use that name. It's not just a matter of registering the country to show that you actually use that name or else somebody will take it from you. Anyway, mm, that's, that's, a, that's another um, thing on, you think trademarks, you, you think you register it around the world and you think you're okay, but that's not the case. Anyway, um, so when we come to go into another country, uh, rather than incrementally, I'm talking of Northern Europe now, going one, then one, the other, um, which we did in Holland as well, by the way. When we came to go into Denmark, we bought another group that was very similar to Specsavers. Well, not called Specsavers. Very similar type of um, outlets, um, and then joint ventured all those stores. So we went in, in in one sort of fell swoop. And when we went into Australia and New Zealand, again we didn't go one store, then another, then another. We actually. Um, did a road show and got a lot of independent opticians to listen to us to see if they wanted to become a Specsavers and we had a hundred of those in, in the first couple of months and then launched with those hundred people that had converted to a Specsavers so I think to go nowadays to go one and then another and another you have to sort of go into a new country with a little bit more than that mm. um, it, it's very different because of advertising if you're going to advertise and you've only got one store mm. <laughs> that's a lot of money yeah. if you're trying to sort of get your, your message across but if you've got a hundred stores then the message is obviously shared between the hundred uh, so little things like that it makes a big difference um, to sort of go into a new country in a big way straight off mm. I'm not saying that's the same for every everything but in no. optics it certainly is and that's a good what's a good learning for you as yes yeah, so we so we campaign. so we learned from that mm. um the other thing which um, I, I love to tell people about, and I, I've still got photographs of it, um, when we went into Holland, which is doing very well um, there, it, it, we've been there for a few years now, um, we, we, had, we had some management consultants to do the research for us. I like to do my own research now, on my feet, in and out, in and out. Um, they, they told us that Specsavers was a rubbish name in Holland. It would never, never work. And um, did some re- research, in inverted commas, and told us to call it Opti Prima. Um, so the first store they'd ever opened in Holland was called Opti Prima. And I've still got pictures of that. Well, within about three weeks of opening, I said, this is absolutely ridiculous. Stick Specsavers' name up there. The Dutch spoke English. They watch English TV. Mm. They'd seen our adverts. They knew very well what Specsavers was. Yeah. And it was so ridiculous, really. So um, now, from there on, we always do our research. Well, not, not, I do quite a lot myself, personally, now. But we, we have our own people who mm. know Specsavers in and out of the culture to do research into different countries or different things, yeah. And that's worth making. Something, and know, outside, it's quite difficult. It's a peculiar type of business because yeah. you're marrying up fashion with medical side um, more and more in the UK now on the medical side and in Australia. So it's, it's a peculiar type of business. A lot goes on behind the scenes. You have to know the business and know your customers really well, mm. um, which we do. Yeah, you, do. you have to try things, don't you? You don't, you don't, yeah. don't know until you try. This is it. it. Work, this learn. is quite right. So this is what I'm saying to people. You 
you, you learn as you go along. Mm. It's not in books. It's yeah. not in books. And from experience. And, and let's, all, let's all say we can go on gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know what you're doing and it's your business and you've got a passion for it and it's in your blood, there's nothing wrong with a gut feeling. There's nothing wrong with a gut feeling. Mm, I totally agree. And I've heard that a lot from other people, actually, who've set up businesses that are there, they feel passionate about and they've gone against advice because their gut's told them that that's the right thing to do. And I think, yeah, it's really interesting to hear that reinforced. Mm-hmm. Um, so my next question, I think, is more personal to you than to spec savers. Um, I think you are a really big inspiration to other women in business because you are an amazingly successful and self-made entrepreneur. Um, and I'm really interested to know if you, we just touched briefly on studying science, and if being a woman has ever affected your career at all, either positively or negatively. Well, you read so much, don't you, mm. about women in business and not enough women being on board levels and all this sort of thing. Um, it's, it's quite a difficult question for me to answer because I've never worked for anybody. Mm-hmm. So I've always worked for myself. After you, you, When you leave university as an optometrist, you do a pre-registered year out right. in either hospital... Well, you do hospital work and you do work in, in the high street and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, and then you take your professional exams and then you go on to the optical register um, to, to be registered just like a doctor or a dentist. Um, so I've never... I never work for anyone, so I, I don't sort of meet any barriers or any any sort of pitfalls really. Mm. I, uh, I think it it probably even in the era that I was born in, I think it's it's to do with the family I was. My father never treated me any different to my brother and three male cousins who were brought up with me as well. So. We just were all treated the same, and I, I think my father just expected me to sort of go ahead and do things just as he'd expected the males yeah. in the family to do things. Um, so I've not really, and then I think, have I come across when I was actually working as an optometrist? Not really. Um, you might get the odd comment from some man saying, ooh, ooh, young lady. This is when I'm in my 20s, of course. <laughs> ooh, ooh, young lady. Because obviously, it, 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 it is a bit disconcerting. I don't know, people here who've ha- had their eyes tested will know, you have to come in very close <laughs> to their faces, yes. Um, so, but it didn't sort of cross my mind at all. And now, as I say, there's more females working in optometry. And in our business as a whole, um, so we have... Probably equal numbers in female and male partners. Mm. Uh, in the actual stores, there's probably equal, or if not more, females working. So I, I, I've never had personally had any mm. drawbacks. I'm thinking of business when you've got to get some accountants or. No, I, I've not. I've not really come across anything That's at all. Good, yeah, but as I say, I've always been the boss. Yeah, so you've never had to deal with any discrimination from your boss. No, boss. no. So, and I can imagine that can be quite difficult. And there's lots of advice out there for women working, mm. not owning, not in their own business, but working in a business. Um, I think you've got to be slightly thick-skinned. Mm. I don't think we've got to be too um, too sensitive. Too, too, too sensitive. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of sensitivity at the moment going around, mm. isn't there? But uh, no, um, I, I, think you, I think you've just got to um, not be quite as brash as men, but you certainly have to be slightly thick-skinned. And 
I, I was sort of thinking the other day that you, you've got to fake it. You know, a lot of people think, oh, gosh. And I spoke to other women in, in businesses, and they say, I don't know how I got here. And I sometimes wonder, how, how did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> um, how did I get here? And women always got that little doubt in their mind about, oh, perhaps I shouldn't be, someone's going to find, it, find me out. Mm. <laughs> maybe uh, uh, maybe I, I don't quite know where I got into this position. So it's a little bit, you've got a, a bit of faking and a bit of pretending, and, but have... Men have that, yes. you know. I think that's so true. <laughs> Men have that, and, and also the other thing that I was um, talking to somebody about that I think women, when they do a task, they want to do it, and it's got to be hundred percent, and they just concentrate, and they work really hard on it. It's got to be absolutely perfect. Mm. Maybe we shouldn't aim for that perfection. Yeah. Men don't. Yeah, yeah. No, no, just say, oh, that's all right. On to the next thing, and then they'll blow their trumpet about. Oh, I've done this, and and, and they 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 make sure that somebody sees them and knows that they've done it. Whereas women just get on and do it all and hope that somebody's noticed that they've done their task a hundred percent and it's perfect. Oh, yeah. So maybe we shouldn't be perfect or aim for hundred um, percent, and maybe we should shout a little bit more about what we've done. I totally agree. And I'm really glad you in said a nice that. way. You know, you know, no, I'm really glad you said that, because that really ties in with one of our other speakers we had at the event, um, was uh, the commissioning editor of Business and Finance at The Telegraph, um, Rachel Adams, and she spoke a lot about imposter syndrome and feeling like you shouldn't right. be there. Yes. And also how she, when she does something well, she wins a new account, she, you know, something goes well at work, she goes and tells her editor and she goes and tells her boss and at first, it's you know, it feels alien, but yes. it's actually a really yeah. good thing no, to that, do. Yes, yes, it's, it's, it's exactly that. Mm. And I think it's not in our nature. Um, when and, and another thing, when I go, we'll never be equal, men and women, because we're different. Mm. We've yeah. got different makeup, chemistry, everything. So I think we have to learn to shout a bit about ourselves and be, as I say, be thick-skinned. Don't always aim for that hundred percent because men don't. I'm not saying that we should be like men. I don't want to be like a man. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I think, yes, mm. yeah, I think just to make it notice, gradually you don't have to do that because if you're in a company for, or you know, a job for a long time, people will get to know you and know what you're doing anyway. But I think if you want to climb a ladder in a new company and a new job, you've probably got to put yourself about a bit. And, yeah, and, and do, a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah, which is difficult, actually. It's really hard. I think it's, yeah. I think it's something that, uh, I'm sure there's lots of studies about it, but I think it is something about the way you're brought up, men and women are brought up from when you're younger. It's yeah. Maybe it's not nice to boast or it's not nice to push yourself yeah. forward. Yeah. But actually, you know, I think women are told that. But I think that sometimes it's very important to push yourself forward because yes. people don't notice. Yes, you have to learn to do it. Yes, mm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. In, no, a, I agree. in a nice way. Yeah, and the good, the good parts of, yeah. you know, like those kind of male characteristics. Yeah. Exactly like no way. I don't want to hate that. Um, so this question might be quite hard, um, and if it is, then let me know. But um, what does success mean to you? How would you define success? Yeah, so I think we, we touched on this just now, so with the sort of success. Um, I think... In my particular business, um, to be to have success, because every Specsavers store, that somebody, wherever you see it, and globally, but in the UK, obviously mainly people here that we're talking to, um, 
each one's a separate company. Mm. Can you imagine what the end of your accounts are like doing like sort of two and a half thousand accounts? Anyway, um, different companies, which means that each one has to be su- successful financially. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, companies don't want to lose money, mm. in spite of what we read in papers about <laughs> different companies in the last few days. Anyway, they, so they've all got to be um, make money and be successful. So I look upon success is that we're quite passionate in spec savers. We, we have, I'll start again. We have a value, which is to treat others as you wish to be treated yourself. So mm-hmm. quite easy to say, quite difficult to do mm-hmm. 24-7, but anyway. And after that, we go on to say what we're passionate about. So obviously we're passionate about our partners because that's how we run our business with partnerships. We're passionate about the customers. I mean, that's top of the list because they're the centre of everything we do. And then we're passionate about our, our, our people because we have a huge learning um, 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 department and, and there's career ladders and all sorts of things. That's a, probably another talk for another day. Um, but we're also passionate about our results and the results meaning that every company is successful financially but also when we say what we're going to do and we lay out the plan, that we actually carry that through and then we measure the results of that and those have to be good. So success is from that point of view is, sounds a bit sort of financial, but I think we have to look at that Mm. um, for success. And and there's lots of little markers along the route that one could say is success. But I, um, I can't let one store fail and there's never been one closed and there's never been one fail because that's somebody's company I'm, yeah. I'm a director in that company as well but that's somebody's company that's their livelihood they've got mortgages they've got children at school they've got holidays they've got cars mm. so we we have to make sure that it's run properly and that it's financially sound mm-hmm. basically and then so you've obviously set up the business with your husband and then now your family is quite involved in the mm. business as well, um, very involved. And I wondered if it can be sort of difficult to separate home and work lives if you work with your other half and whether you think the separation of the two is actually important or whether you're always quite happy to talk work <laughs> <Yeah>. at home. <laughs> well, um, yes, what can I say? Because we, we met at university, we got married as soon as we left university, um, so it's a long time ago. Um, yeah, we, we do talk work at home, mm. but I think it's important if anybody else is thinking of starting their own business, I always say, well, even if your family don't work in that business, involve them in what you're doing, because it's all-consuming, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, say work-life balance is the saying but uh, I think you've got to be fairly strict with yourself that you do have some time that work doesn't encroach on yeah um that's easier said than done but you can have a diary you have a diary and you put meetings in your diary so you can put a time in where make it make it up um this is walking in the countryside for two hours you know it's, a, it's another sort of meeting isn't it etc and no work yeah. uh, so you can do it but I always say to people if you're starting your own business try and involve the family because you, you when you start off you are going to be working very hard mm. it's not a part-time sort of thing that you can pick up and leave um, so involve involve the family um, so I have to say yes we do talk about work 
<laughs> but in a, in a nice way, it's not yeah. uh, you know we don't we don't. I think again within the family we all have different interests as well. If so, you have like if your children come around for dinner and you have like a family dinner, do you ever talk about work? Or no, 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 no. We don't. Funny enough, um, no. And that's probably a good thing, no, though, because otherwise no, you feel like you never Yeah, no, no, there's um, so much going on in their lives, their children's lives, and, and you know, it's, no, no, mm. I, I don't, we don't, no, funny enough. That's interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, well, we probably sometimes have other people, maybe the in-laws as well, so it wouldn't be appropriate to yeah. <laughs> go on about work all the time. <laughs> and I think it's good to have a bit of a break as well, otherwise you would feel like you are yeah, yeah. Well, we we see each other enough uh, in the in the day, so we um, at work, so we don't really need to go on talking about it outside work. Yeah. Um, and then I think I'm really interested to know because obviously it was one of the first shop, first spectators opened in the eighties, and I think the face of the high street has changed so much over the years, and the way that we shop and the way that we you know expect to consume. Um, how do you think? This has changed the Specsavers outlets, and has it changed the business model of Specsavers at all? Yeah, well, I, um, as I said before, it's always continually progressing. And oh, <laughs> well, yes, that's what I like to think. Yes, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Mary. That's been so interesting, and yeah, and I really appreciate the time and um, what an interesting chat. Thank you. Well, good. I would wrap it on forever <laughs> on spec service. <laughs> it has changed over the years. The high street is changing. Um, we've got a lot more stores in communities now. So rather than saying, say for the sake of central Manchester, yes, and then there'll be suburbs, because not everybody wants to travel into... Um, a big city centre, so it's the convenience that people want. Mm. It wants to be on their doorstep, more or less, and they need um, professional, well-educated staff. I say that, not just the optometrists, but everybody else needs to be able to answer their questions as well. And also, um, uh, you've got to be there when they want you to be there. Um, Mm. So... Uh, years ago, when I started as an optician, they were Monday to Friday and didn't open Saturdays or oh, really? Sundays. Um, well, most people after mm. work on Saturday or Sunday, that's when they want to see. So things things alter. So you've got to be there when the customer wants and, and giving them what they want. And optics has changed. It's always had the medical side, but even but now it's changing even more. That the medical side is hugely growing, and the stores in the UK by the end of the year. All of them will have been fitted with hospital-grade equipment, which is like an MRI scanning of the eye. Okay. Um, we're probably halfway through that program now, so we've got the rest of the year to go. Um, so it's quite sort of expensive equipment. We've always got a lot of equipment there, um, but this is a new one that you would have in hospitals, so that people don't have to go to the hospital for this sort of diagnostic stuff, um, and they don't don't have to go to their GP. GPs are overloaded. Mm. As everybody knows, you wait for a long time for an appointment with a GP, and the poor chap or lady is really pushed when you get there. So eyes are probably not top of their mm. their list for when you see your GP. So there's no need, you know, you don't 
you have to go to the GP, you can go to your optometrist who can refer you um, straight on to an, um, an eye surgeon or an ophthalmologist within your community. So we're working towards that now. Um, and all the optometrists in our groups, so it's about, um, it's just under 3,000 altogether, um, have now all done their postgraduate they're all highly trained anyway but we we sort of always upgrading upgrading on postgraduate training so that they can do the ophthalmology work it doesn't really change the business model too much because we still have the joint venture mm-hmm. but it, the layout of stores is altering so we gradually sort of the medical rooms clinical rooms are altering and slightly away from the retail noisy yeah. <laughs> fashion area um uh, so, so a lot of that going on, and then on the digital side, there's a lot easier now to um, to take three D pictures, measurements of people's faces. Um, so we, we put a lot of IT stuff gone in um, to be able to do that. Just hold an iPad up, and mm. I know nothing about IT, by the way. It's the one thing I know <laughs> nothing about, but it's all very clever. Yeah. <laughs> and the um, the digital three D measurement of, of the face to sort of will help people choose what frame they would like. So digital side, incidentally, that um, is almost ready to go that you could do it at home on your iPad or your phone. So scan it. You could do that. Um, Obviously, in in the UK, by law, as optometrists, we need to see the patient, the customer, face-to-face. But in other countries we're in, we can do that and we can do that in internet selling um, but not not in the UK we'd lose our registration as qualified optometrists Mm -hmm. so appropriately talking about the world and different places in the world Guernsey is um, a huge part of Specsavers uh, identity and I'm obviously from Guernsey very proudly from Guernsey Um, and for people who don't know this, the uh, Specsavers is the biggest employer on the island. Um, so everybody knows somebody that works at Specsavers. <laughs> and uh, it's also a very generous charity sponsor and it organises um, a hugely popular Hangable on Liberation Day, which I went to this year and was amazing. Oh, right. Um, well, of course you were, yeah. yes. So, so. <laughs> and, uh, I, so I'm really interested to know, I think, sort of how you feel the island has been important in your success. Mm. Yes. That's, um, well, of course, I was here before Specsavers, yes, I have yes. to say that. So I had a good oh, nearly four years, um, nothing to do with optics then. And like my parents, I, I came because my parents were here and they were getting elderly. And we sold this business that I talked about earlier in Bristol. Um, and wasn't quite sure, it was all sorts of things go through your mind. I think, well, I'll have a career change, I'll do this or I'll do that. So we actually came and stayed with my parents for a while while well, I was sort of trying to think, well, what could be the next step in life? It's always, I didn't have any plan. And, um, but optics obviously brought us back into optics again. Um, so Guernsey, of course, by then it was well and truly my home. Mm. Uh, and my children were at school here. Um, and all my friends then were here, as well as back in, in the Bristol area. And um, so it's very difficult to say, was it good to be in Guernsey? Because it was my home, and of course I knew lots of people. Um, I don't think, and of course I get asked this by the 
Guernsey what we call deputies and that's like members of parliament um, because we have our own parliament here in Guernsey not part of the UK government um, and, and they sort of ask well would you attract another business in or would you recommend that somebody comes to Guernsey it's very difficult for business because we have the stretch of water we're, we're an island surrounded by water so to get on and off the island um, it can be difficult it can be expensive. You can't just jump in a car and motor, say you're in Birmingham and you think, oh, I must go down to London. You either jump on the train or jump in a car or somebody comes to visit you from another country. They fly into London. You meet them in your office in London. Very easy. A little bit difficult when you're living on an island. So I'm thinking, well, would I come here now today and um, set up Specsavers here? And it's very difficult. Half of, half of me sort of wants to say, yeah, of course. And then the half says, well, I don't know. But then my next question would be, well, where would you go? Mm. <laughs> so I think Guernsey is quite a good place to do business. It's very safe. It's a good education. So you've got good employees. Um, they're very loyal. And Anybody who ever comes to Guernsey is very friendly. <laughs> very friendly. Um, probably but too friendly. It's a bit like living in a small village. So you don't do anything wrong or else somebody's going somebody's to gonna find you out. And then, then your life wouldn't be worth living. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine being anywhere else. So I, I would have to sort of end up saying, yeah, Guernsey's been really good to me. Um, mm. It probably has. Um, I've, as I say, the only stumbling block for a new business arriving in Guernsey is you've got to get on and off an island. Yeah. You can't just jump in a car. But once you've overcome that and you ignore that water, um, then in, in this day and age, there's video conferencing for people to do business. But you do have to go and touch flesh now and again. Yeah. When, if we're doing business in other countries, you do need to speak to people. It can't all be done on a screen. I don't think so, anyway. You do need to know who, who you're doing business with. In, in recent years, we've, we've added two planes onto our list of assets. Mm. <laughs> um, so we have several pilots, obviously, to run two planes. And it's just linking the staff. For instance, the, the retail staff consultants here who help the stores, they have to go and see the stores. A lot of them are based in the UK and work from home and go and visit the stores and help them with their business plans and all that sort of thing. But the ones that are here, um, they might want to go to Dublin. And, OK, you could go to Dublin via Gatwick or Heathrow or Southampton. The two planes, you'd have to stay away a night. Um, whereas now they can go to Dublin just by getting on a plane in the morning, a Specsavers plane, and come back the same night or perhaps stay one night and come back the next day. So it, it does make their life, it makes their time more efficient. What does the typical day look like for you? Is there ever a typical day or is it all <laughs> do, different? Do you know, I've been, I've been asked that so many times to talk about what, my, my, what I do each day. Um, it can be... Every day is different. Every day is different. I haven't got my diary in front of me. I've got a diary on a phone, but for uh, all of you to, to let you know, I also print out that diary, a big A3 paper, because I'm a big 
writer and notes on there and I know you can do it on iPhones but it takes me so long to get into the day and then do it I like to scribble on it and then sort of and work out things and see a whole whole month on a big sheet so I'm always carrying that around with me um, so it can be quite different um, I can be in the UK I can be visiting a store um, or I can be at a, a meeting it might not be Specsavers it might be Specsavers it might be one of the organisations I'm patron of or a charity event um, for instance next week I know that choosing a Wednesday I'm in Westminster for the RNIB um, which we partner with the RNIB because there's a a lot of people losing their sight that don't have to lose their sight if only they'd visited um, to have their eyes tested early on. A lot of it's preventable um, sort of eye diseases if left then the RNIB pick them up. But, so we're in partnership with them and we've got a um, talking to um, MPs. And I'm visiting a store the next day to talk to, they've got a couple of apprentices um, and I like to keep in touch with the apprentices that we've got. Um, so things come on it can be so different and then I can have a whole week where I think right I'm going to get down and do this um, at the moment I would say 20% of my week and that can run into weekends by the way um, I'm the chair of something called the Island Games mm. um, now just to explain to people what the Island Games is, it's like the Commonwealth Games and the Olympic Games, but it's for islands around the world, as far away as the Falkland Islands, by the way, and St Helena and places like that. So not um, uh, not big islands it's like big event, uh, yeah. it's a big event. Um, and in 2021, it's, it's held every two years, which is a bit too often, really. It should do it every four years, but never mind. Two years, 2021, it's been held in Guernsey. We've had it before. We've had it twice before, but the last time was 2003. T 2021, up come the Island Games, where we'll get four or 5,000 athletes visiting the island. And there's many sports. There's 14 different sports, and some of these people are of Olympic standards. There's a lot of work going on behind the scenes already in that you can imagine, think of the Commonwealth Games, but smaller, um, with less people, but there's still all the organising to do. So some of my time at the moment, it's nothing to do with optics, nothing mm. to do with the charities I work with, uh, or, or patron of different organisations, but it can be Alan Games. My last question, um, which I like to ask everybody that I speak to um, in terms of the 9% event, if you can give your top tips for professional <laughs> success for other women. Yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Well, it, it was obviously slightly different. We were talking earlier about whether you're working in your own company or whether you're working for a company. Mm. Um, so a little bit different. Um, and we, we, we did touch on it before that really to sort of focus on what you're good at, have a passion for it, focus on what you're good at. And we, I really have to say don't try for that perfection all the time mm -hmm. more I, I see it here at work I see it in myself as well to be honest mm -hmm. I see it in myself and uh, and you shouldn't do that so if you focus on what you're really good at what your strengths are go on doing the learning and development even even I do that I, mm -hmm. I go on course I tell you that the, the, the latest course again I'm, I'm straying from your question is the um, 
is all the diversity things that are going on at the moment. Mm. And the uh, latest course I've been on is unconscious bias. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, well, it's um, it's uh, it's quite widespread, and I'm sure some of the people listening will know that they've been on unconscious bias Absolutely, as well. Yeah. Uh, and things I thought, my goodness, and and you you don't you stop and think. Oh, I never thought, but it's in your mind, mm. and it is an unconscious bias. So anyway, I've been on training courses for that. So there's all sorts of learning and development that one can go on doing, and you should do that, mm. um, if only to keep abreast with the world as it's changing, to be honest, how it's going on. Um, we've already mentioned about the self-confidence and faking it a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always faking it. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always, always faking it. Um, and, um, and and I think we've we said about speaking up and, and sort of not holding back, letting people know what you've done. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably more important than some of the other feminist things that are going on at the moment. I think it, it's not to be brash, but to be in a nice way to let people know, look, I've, I've done, you know, I've yeah. done this, and this is what I've done, and and and. And I think what I'd like to do now is blah, blah, blah. And I think maybe I need to do a, a training course for that so that I can take that on. Mm-hmm. Sort of sort of be in control of how you want to be and how you want your career to go. I can't believe you still feel like you're uh, faking it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> believe you me, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, no, no, but I think be yourself. Be yourself. I mean, mm. I couldn't, I couldn't put on airs or graces or. Um, people sometimes ask me, "What sort of leader are you?" And I think, I don't know. I just probably lead by example a lot, a lot mm. of the time. But um, uh, I couldn't be, I couldn't be anything different to me. So sometimes I don't have a lot of time to do it because I'm, I'm so busy in spec savers. So mm. um, people will say, "Well." I get invitations to go and talk and I think and I listen to other speakers and I think god they're really good and and I think well I'm going to do this so it, it is sort of you have to make yourself do it it's, in a way it is faking it mm. you don't, you're, well, I've got to stand up there and do that but they just be yourself I say whatever you have to, you just they just have to take you as you are mm. Um, and maybe everyone else is just faking it as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that's what I like to think. Yes, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Mary. That's been so interesting. And yeah, and I really appreciate the time and um, what an interesting chat. Thank you. Well, good. I would wrap it on forever <laughs> on spec service. <laughs>